You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a bite-sized podcast that brings you real-world insights that help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up-to-date on the latest trends. Join us as we share best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demand Matrix. Demand Matrix helps you complete your data stack with technographic, intent, and revenue potential data to help you accelerate revenue. Thanks for listening. Hey, welcome back to Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Mark Bedard, and today I'm graced with the presence of Christine Colosimo, Director of Marketing and Comms over at Workado. Christine, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. Excited to be here. This is a good one. We're going to be talking about building trust, a topic that keep coming, just continuously comes up. Every single time we're talking in any podcast or any series, I feel like more and more focus on building trust and authenticity. And uh, I think COVID probably accelerated that. But man, what a refreshing conversation to be having. Yeah, 100%. It's definitely top of mind. Nobody wants to deal with someone who's fake. So We're definitely not talking about distrust, so it makes sense. So as per the format, I know we're going to be talking about the past, uh, today's present, and then maybe even some future predictions that you're going to be having. But I think, you know, just to, to walk us through it, first and foremost, you know, what about trust are we going to be talking about and why are we going to be talking about it? Yeah, well, obviously, you have to build trust and long-term relationships to successfully sell something. And uh, Workado is an uh, integration-led automation platform. So we think a lot about how we can build trust with potential buyers. Um, and I think that we've found some tactics that build that trust and build that long-term relationship. I actually came from the content marketing side before I moved into more general marketing and content marketing is certainly about building trust and long-term relationships. If you're not writing about things that are uh, helpful, if you're not writing about things that are not self-serving, then that content doesn't work. And so I think that I've always had that mindset of how do we not make this about selling a product, but about building trust or about building a long-term relationship. and yeah, we've discovered some cool things on how to do that, especially around community building. I know, you know, after conversations with uh, Bascar Roy and, and the team over at Workado, you guys have an absolute top-notch community over there. And, uh, and to Bascar's uh, point, it's, it's because of you. So uh, I'm really looking to, to pick your brain on this, um, to dive a little deeper into it. Obviously, it's a major focal point, and it's definitely a part of modern marketing and modern selling. Talk to me about the past, though. How did we get to this point? Yeah. So I think that when you think about selling in the past or building trust when you're selling, the main point is that buying looked different. So when you wanted to buy something, uh, you really didn't have a lot of choices. You either went down to your one general store and uh, of course you want to build, the, you know, whoever the shopkeeper is wants to build trust with you. I actually think that the three ways that a 
shopkeeper in a one-to-one sales situation can build trust with you are exactly the same today. So in a one-to-one sales situation, they would be, is that person helpful? Is that person competent? And does that person show a interest in your well-being? Um, And I think that that's the same today when you're in a one-to-one sales position. But you have to build trust before you even get to a salesperson at this point because of this issue of having so many choices. Um, And then, you know, maybe it evolves and then you've got like a traveling salesman and he's coming door to door. Well, he's at your house, so there's already an element of you trusting him there. He already got to the doorstep of your house. And then he also has something that he's selling that you can't get anywhere else. Maybe it's like a globe or the latest encyclopedia. So you can't just go pop on the internet and get that during that time. Um, So I think that the way we buy now with infinite choices and the ability to buy things very quickly and um, without a lot of thought has changed how we have to build trust and you have to build trust before you even get to the one-to-one selling interaction. That's, I love, I love the analogy. And uh, so, you know, I'm I'm from a small town in New Hampshire and and we actually did have one general store. Uh, It was the fourth oldest in the country. So I'm very familiar with that. Even more recently, people are still living like that, if you can believe it, Christine. I love that. You're like very familiar with the general store concept. Absolutely. That one really hit home. The encyclopedia salesman, I don't know. But no, the, the general store was good. I, I love it. I, I think uh, even tying those three components that the shopkeep and even modern sales and marketing, not even on the consumer end, but the B2B end is still encountering or still uh, needing to exhibit being helpful um, being competent and then obviously having an interest in, in the customer um, and best serving them. I love that. Uh, that's, that's a great point. So we've had an evolution. Obviously, there's not scarcity anymore or there's very little. Uh, to your point, there's a massive amount of options. Where, where are we really at with respect to today's scenario? Like. How does it look? I'm sure you've got a nice little framework or you've broken it down uh, in terms of you know, helping me understand it. Yeah, I mean, I think today we face different challenges to selling, like I said, so to even get to that one-to-one uh, interaction. And so specifically for Workado or really any B2B software product, I'm sure it applies even beyond this. Um, the three challenges we are really facing with a potential buyer are decision fatigue because you know there's so many decisions they have to make um, and a lot of different things on the market. There's the fact that all of those choices are complex products that do different things. So it's hard for them to understand what your product does or if it can actually solve their problem. Um, and then the, the last one is that these products are significant investments. They're not like $12 hair bands that you're just buying as an impulse. So there's, you know, we've kind of got these three things that we have to to work against um, and I can kind of talk about how community helps alleviate some of those issues. Yeah, please do. I think that those, I mean, those are definitely not problems that uh, I think the listeners are going to fight you on, right? Mm-hmm. I, no one's going to argue that. Yes, you know, we, we're making, uh, you get the, the Zuckerberg example and Jobs and all those guys, right? They wear one shirt. You know, they wake up and they wear literally just one type of shirt every single day because it takes out one less decision that they need to make per day. And uh, I don't know if we need to go to that extreme, but I get it. I understand, especially in COVID times, I get it. It makes it a lot easier. 
Um, the complex products, no question about it. You know, as technology evolves, they're only going to be continuously complex. Again, you know, I'm sure the listeners are just nodding their heads uh, as I am. And then certainly significant investments. Yeah, we're not talking about, well, the encyclopedias back in the day were actually pretty expensive, but maybe maybe these are a little more expensive to your point. So yeah, what, what is this community-based thing that you keep harping on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, encyclopedias are kind of expensive. It's a good point. They are, They're especially like... <laughs> Having the whole series, that'd be a, that's a small fortune. Right. Yeah, totally. I guess that's why, like, if you think about encyclopedia collections, they get passed down in families. Um, so maybe that wasn't a good example. I, but. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, um, communities, I think, alleviate a lot of this issue. And there's a lot of people who have user communities. So I want to clarify that when I talk about communities. I'm not talking about communities for people who already bought your product. I'm talking about a kind of higher level, like top of the funnel community where you're just really looking to add value and create trust and build long-term relationships with prospective buyers. So people who have not necessarily heard about your product even. And they might not even have a problem at this time that your product can solve. So if you're really playing the long, the long game here, but um, I think that once you create this community and you've got these people in there that, you know, are all doing the thing that makes sense and is adjacent to your product, you kind of alleviate some of these issues that we've talked about community selling, um, it kind of activates the bandwagon effect. So when other people are using a product, it creates, I guess, FOMO, but also it provides social proof that you know this works and you're hearing that from your peers. So you already have trust with those peers because they're not trying to sell you something, they're going through the same challenges as you. And at the same time, it alleviates that decision fatigue because you can have somebody say, I solved that problem and I'm using this. And that can really help you narrow down which vendors you want to talk to in a more in-depth way. Um, I think the last thing that it does a great job of is if you are a product that's in a crowded space, it can be hard for someone to understand exactly what your product does. And they're not thinking about like, I want a platform. They're thinking about, I have X problem and I want to specifically fix this one problem. And I don't know what product will fix that problem necessarily, or if your product can do it. And when you're able to just straightforwardly ask about an issue in a community, then it already narrows that down and answers that question. Um, you might get that answered in a sales cycle, but it puts you in a better headspace for when you actually enter into a sales cycle because you already know the answer and it also will speed that sales cycle up. So you're investing, you're playing the long game, but I think that the benefits are um, very high. And I can give an example to how Mercado has seen a lot of benefit from this. Our community is for business technology leaders, which is uh, kind of sits adjacent to or sometimes in IT. And it's kind of a new role that's come up in the last 10 or so years. It's still being defined. So these people are really hungry for community and for knowledge. And that really works to our advantage because they want to engage and they want the value that our community can offer. Um, and we've seen such success with that kind of converting into building these, this trust and this long-term relationship that even though Workado has never had a user conference, we're actually doing our first one in April, we've had two uh, systematic conferences, which is the community. So before we even did our own, we did this community conference. Wow, that's crazy. 
I mean, that's awesome, though. I mean, that's kind of proof in the pudding, right? It's like, yeah, there's there's massive value here, especially if if the users are uh, engaging it and, and, and driving it forward. Right. Um, that has got to be very validating from your guys end. Yeah, exactly. The fact that they want to take time out of their work schedule and to, you know, make these uh, conferences happen of their own volition, we're obviously supporting them, but all of the content is chosen by the community and all of those sessions are run by community members. And we really, uh, we really don't have to do a lot besides just facilitate their passion. And so that's really cool because that means that they're seeing huge value from it and want to, you know, share and spread what uh, they're doing. I don't want to get too tactical on it, but I'm really curious, like there's obviously been a huge rise of, of Slack communities and uh, and, um, you know, professional groups as well, uh, whether those be, you know, on LinkedIn or off of off of their, um, you know, different coalitions and things like that that are you know charging even memberships to be a part of that are maybe industry specific. Uh, but now what we're seeing is really role specific communities pop up more and more to your point this uh technologist um kind of persona right i we've seen the same kind of shift with uh revenue as well whether those be um you know cro's or they uh or the ops functions you know whether those be martech or or rev ops what what kind of like what kind of avenues are you guys using to develop this community how are you enabling your um, prospects to be able to engage at, at this level. Um, what are you guys doing? Yeah, that's a great question. So when we first started, it was very organic. I think the key to starting a new community is that you have to be very clear on what value you're providing. You can't just create a space and then put some people in there and then be like, Hey, go talk to each other. You know, they're not going to do that. So we had to get buy-in from the very beginning and the way that we did that, we actually I can't even say that like we're geniuses who came up with this idea. We were interviewing some business technology leaders and um, Kamud Kokel, who was the head of business technology at Airbnb, uh, and also after that into it. So we were just having a conversation with him and he was like, you know, I don't really know anybody else who does my job. It's kind of hard to like find my peers. And we were like, hmm, <laughs> interesting, maybe we should help. And he was like, cool, yeah. And then we formed a group of 10 founding uh, members, you know, based on who Kamud knew and who we knew. And, you know, those founding members, I think, are really key to the success of the community because they're bought in from the beginning and they believe in the mission of that community. So it can't really just be that the company starts that community because you need the buy-in of whoever the community is for. So I would say that that's probably a really important part. So we let it grow very organically um, that way for a while. And then, you know, once we, we realize this is working and people like this and people want this and there's a hunger for it, then we started getting more tactical with how do we get people into the community and how do we find the right people. Um, and so we actually have to team members who spend some time each week recruiting people by looking through LinkedIn, finding people with the right title or the right types of work. Uh, we're very specific. I think one of the big things is that we want to keep the integrity of the group very strong. You are not allowed to sell. It's vendor neutral. Um, so we don't want consultants necessarily. Like you must be full-time employed in that role. 
so there are a lot of stipulations and I think protecting that integrity and as we scale this, it's becoming harder and harder, of course, to do that. So that's a you know a challenge we're, we're working through, but there's a lot of interesting stuff there. Mm, the entire underlying premise goes back to literally the topic of, of this show, right? Where it's, if they can't go in there and feel like they can trust the people that are giving them advice, right? If they're, if they ever get slighted into, I don't know, buying something or pitched on something that completely ruins the integrity of it. Right. So, um, mm -hmm. that's huge. I get it. So yeah. start small, start organic, start with the vision in mind and then evangelize it from that point forward. Yeah. And I think just, you know, protect the integrity of the group. You really have to have like a person in the company who's doing that protecting. Otherwise, I think that it will fall to the wayside. We really, we meet with those founding members and now it's kind of expanded thanks to the conferences of kind of our steering committee. Um, and we meet with them very regularly. And when we want to make a change to the community, we talk to them about it. Like even we recently changed technology platforms. And when we decided to do that, we met with every stakeholder. You know, I had to, I had so many internal meetings. I had meetings with the steering committee to make sure that everybody was, you know, on board with this change. And usually they're always like, yeah, of course, this is better. But you want to, you know, I don't ever want to surprise someone because, right, that's part of trust too, following through on your commitments. Um, being very clear in your communication. So I think it's just in all elements, you know, making sure that that stuff is happening. We've had, you know, as as the community gets bigger and we hear more people internally at Workado hear about the community and are hearing about the success, then they want to leverage the community. They're like, well, can I email the people in there? Can I join? You know, you really have to say no. <laughs> you cannot. Yeah. Wow, yeah. I, even protecting it internal, I hadn't even thought of that. That's absolutely true. But it, it's interesting. I mean, uh, obviously very impactful way to, to grow the business. And certainly if anyone can replicate uh, Workato's staggering growth in, in any aspect, then it's something that we should be engaging and thinking about. Um, I, we always, you know, got to wrap it out, right? But like, what's, what's the prediction? Where's this going? Yeah, I think if you think about B2C and social selling, that's all moved onto social media platforms. It's happening on Instagram, it's happening on TikTok. That's where people are now going to see what are people buying, what are people using. And really communities are the same thing for B2B. So I, I think that um, you know communities like this, these top of funnel communities will start to become the norm. And I also think that as they become the norm, that means that resourcing within companies will start to shift in that kind of a new job sects will emerge and it will be interesting to see whether that kind of fits under customer marketing or if that fits under lead gen or does that go under content nobody knows i don't know where that fits into the marketing org but um it's definitely something that we've begun to build out you know a separate team and if you look at what they're doing it is not typical content activity and it's not typical uh marketing activity it's not typical events activity yet they are regularly putting out content they are regularly running events and they are regularly doing lead generation so it's kind of very confusing but i think that uh, everyone will be on the journey to figure it out soon well community might be yeah that might be the title who knows that's very cool that's uh maybe i'll make a community for those kinds of people around community and attract those people in if it's a new cutting edge one that makes sense yeah get in early mark get in early <laughs> that's it i like it 
that might be an opportunity. This is, I mean, obviously very cool. They, they actually did do a TikTok for business. I think they just launched, by the way. Nice. Well, early, I'm sure early adopters. my life will be lost to it soon. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's beautiful. It's awesome. I love it. Uh, building trust. Christine, can't thank you enough for enlightening us and hopping on. Uh, any closing remarks or anything that, that we should uh, wrap out with? Ooh, this is a lot of pressure. I wasn't prepared for closing remarks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I guess just um, just keep keep building trust with your you know potential clients and protect the integrity of whatever you're doing. I think it permeates everything in marketing and in sales. It's all the way down to you know bounce rates in email. Like you can't. You need to have a certain trust ratio with your email or else you will start going to spam. You know, everything is now there's so much saturation across the board that I think if you just lead with this idea of is this going to breach the trust between me and whoever I'm trying to communicate with, that is such a good guiding light across the board. I love it. Couldn't have said it better. That's that's a perfect way to end the show. Christine, thank you again for coming on. We got to have you back soon. Awesome. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us and share these insights with your peers.